Opera is one of the most visually stunning art forms around. But did you ever wonder what it takes to make opera look so wonderful and flow so seamlessly? Find out more in today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. You're invited to the Guild's 87th Annual Luncheon, Artistry and Impact. Taking place on November 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this virtual event will honor the performance careers and education contributions of Harolyn Blackwell, Diana Soviero, and Thomas Hampson. This exciting gala will include exclusive archival performance footage, special appearances, speeches, and musical tributes from individuals including Denise Graves, John Holliday, Catherine Lewick, and Eileen Perez. Tickets start at $75 and are available for purchase at www.metguild.org slash luncheon2021 or by phone at 212-769-7009. We can't wait to celebrate with you. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. From more traditional staging to more boundary-pushing productions, operatic staging has been evolving and changing since the advent of opera. In fact, what we see on the stage can directly affect what the audience hears and understands, and vice versa. I'm Elspeth Davis, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we talk with lecturer Matthew Timmermans about his upcoming virtual opera boot camp, all about the history and legacy of operatic staging. The topic of opera stage directing has so many points of entry. How did you figure out what you wanted to cover given the large scope of the topic? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I didn't realize how broad the topic actually was until I began my research. I think my definition of stage direction will illustrate how many aspects are crucial. It can include sets, costumes, lighting, choreography, the opera's text, audience behavior, and the theatrical concept itself. I realized that a narrower approach would be the most efficient and effective way to explore the question that inspired and shaped these four lectures. That question is, what's at stake when we perform opera? It became clear that the best way to answer this question was to focus on a selection of operas and contextualize the broad trends in stage direction that impacted hundreds of operas in the past. Then I applied this historical material to specific operas. The history of opera stretches back four centuries, offering a plethora of innovations in staging to explore. It has also witnessed several historical landmarks, including revolutions, gender equality, and the civil rights movements. How opera has responded to, and in some cases ignored, these radical changes in human consciousness has had a large impact on the ways opera has been and continues to be staged, an impact often overlooked when we talk about opera. I trace performance traditions from an opera's premiere to modern productions to see how directors have approached the questions of identity embedded in these works, whether that be race, gender, or or class. The lectures convey the unique lives of each of these operas and hopefully opens one's imagination to their many possible futures. 
In this course, you explore a wide variety of composers. How did you decide which composers and operas you would discuss and why? It was a personal challenge to limit myself to only six composers and seven operas, but somehow I managed it. I justified my selection to the opera queen inside me by recognizing that one, I wanted to cover some of opera's giants, including Mozart, Verdi, and Wagner, because they are central to the operatic imagination. The latter two had a lot to say about how their works were staged, which was particularly interesting in comparison to the ways that modern directors have staged their works. Verdi once wrote to his librettist for Aida that it doesn't matter whether you use these words or others, but it must be a phrase that shocks, that is truly theatrical. If he was still alive today, I often wonder what he would define as shocking or theatrical in his operas. Would he want us to recast them in contemporary places and situations? Something to explore in these lectures. Number two, I chose some operas to show how performance traditions have radically sorry, changed over centuries. For example, I chose Gluck's 18th century opera Orfeo to look at how directors negotiate the fact that this opera was written for a castrato, a boy castrated at birth to have a higher voice. Did they cast a woman disguised as a man, or did they use a countertenor? What if Orfeo was instead a woman in love with a woman? Number three, I also chose some operas in light of recent political movements like Hashtag Me Too and BLM, or Black Lives Matter. Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro, for example, is all about sexual abuse, and Peter Sellers' 1989 production, set in Trump Tower, offers a fascinating interpretation that foregrounds these issues. As Broadway comes back to life after the recent surge in BLM protests, we are seeing more plays, musicals, and operas about Black life on Broadway than ever before. Gershwin's Porgy and Bess has a particularly fraught history because of how it tells Black life from the view of a white man. Because this opera is being revived again, I thought it was important to explore what it means to stage Porgy in this century. And fourth and finally, I simply wanted to share some stagings that I love.
That was Que Faro Senza Eurydice from Gluck's Orfeo et Eurydice, an opera that Matthew explores greatly in this course. What is it about exploring this component of opera that excites you, and what do you hope audiences will come away with? There's so much possibility in the ways that we might stage and even perform opera. As I explained in lecture one, several historians have described opera as unruly, explaining that it has infinite potential, which is always narrowed to fit the creator's vision. We can see this process from an opera's inception, for example, how the opera composer Gluck tries to revolutionize opera in the 18th century by reducing the opportunities for performers to show off so that they might instead convey his poetry. In these lectures and in my other work for the Guild, I try to show how we've come to accept a particular set of beliefs about what opera is. Is it tragic? Is it long? Is it supposed to be in another language? Should it be viewed in absolute silence? Is it an absolute extension of a composer's sacred vision? And then in exposing those beliefs, I then explain that opera has not always been this way and that composers didn't necessarily view or even imagine that it was possible to see and hear opera as we do now. I hope to show that there is no definitive way to perform or even see an opera and that there are many more possibilities in the past than we know about, and that there are also many exciting possibilities for the future as a result. In this series, I really poke at this idea by exploring how regie directors have changed the setting of an opera to resonate with new and different ideas, ideas that simply didn't exist when the opera was composed. I have had the privilege to see many operas in my lifetime, whether in person or through video. And to be honest, I really like to see new and challenging productions. But that may come from an exposure to opera that many can't or don't want to access. But I also hope, and I get excited by the thought, that newcomers to opera might see productions that don't look like they came from a museum that need to be justified historically, but rather that have immediate resonance with the experience they have or culturally know about. Do you have a favorite opera director and why? It would definitely be a challenge to choose only one. There are simply so many with different and, and contrasting approaches. It would be just as hard for me to choose a favorite opera, a question many of us are asked at some point, and each time I'm still torn with indecision. Having said that, I do have a favorite production. I know it's my favorite because it's a production that I can watch over and over again. It is Stefan Herheim's production of Dvorak's Ruzolka, which I discuss in detail in lecture four of this series. Herheim tells the story of Ruzolka, which is basically the darker version of The Little Mermaid, through the eyes of the water goblin, Ruzolka's father figure. By drawing our attention to the ways that men might objectify women with disastrous consequences in the context of Ruzolka, Herheim forces us to think about the ways that we as an audience objectify and take pleasure from what we see played out on the stage, including tantalizing outfits, violence, and maybe even sex. I love this production because of how it makes me interact with opera in new and exciting ways. One, it's like a puzzle that the viewer has to put together, and each time it doesn't quite make sense. Yet you come away from it with new and interesting thoughts about the opera and yourself as a viewer. And two, the production is so entertaining. As Zachary Wolf noted in his review, you may have no idea what's going on, but nonetheless, you'll be entertained. In an art form that revives the same canon of works every few years, 
I find that Herheim's approach makes opera feel like a living, breathing art form with great singing rather than a museum of works. I'm really fortunate and excited to have the opportunity to see Herheim's interpretation of Wagner's Ring Cycle in Berlin this fall. I think it's the first time that I've been more excited to see the production than the singers, which is really high praise considering that the production stars Nina Stemmer as Brunhilde. That was Guild lecturer and audience favorite Matthew Timmermans discussing his upcoming opera boot camp, An Introduction to Operatic Staging, which will be released virtually on November 1st on our online learning platform, Thinkific. To purchase this course, please visit metguild.thinkific.com. And please make sure to follow us on all your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date on all our exciting programming. I'm your host, Elspeth Davis, and thanks for listening.